Friends, would you stand with me as we turn to the book of Colossians? This morning I want to read for us Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to the end of the chapter. Again, let us listen now to the Lord's word. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and following. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated, friends. Again, Father, we thank you for this day and for this word and for this supper that is in front of us and pray for your blessing to be upon it at this time, both that your blessing be upon the servant that I would speak your word faithfully, and I pray, Lord, that your blessing be upon your people, old and young, that you would help them, O Lord, to listen, and help us all together, Father, again come away rejoicing in Christ our Savior, in whose name I pray, amen. So we weren't here last, or I wasn't here last week, my thanks to Al, who preached last week to six, seven people, something like this. Um... It's a blessing uh, to be able to come back. Uh, So I didn't get to address New Year's Day, so you're one week late, or (laughs) I'm one week late. It's a new year, and now we get to shoot for a a new you. Perhaps you're tired of the old you, tired of your struggle against the flesh, tired of the guilt that you feel for past sins, for present sins, and perhaps you are tired of the endless shame that you carry around with you. So maybe it was December 20th, around there, you thought, you know, New Year's is coming, a New Year's resolution. Here's some good books that are on Amazon's top-selling list, and so I'm going to find some self-help books, something to help you curb your appetites, right? You've got these New Year's resolutions so that you obtain the new you. This is the big the big rage I saw in Tucker Carlson. Um, Tony Robbins was on, right? The motivational speaker, the guy who's going to tell you how to accomplish all these things. A new year, a new you, more discipline, more godly. You're going to garner greater respect, both self-respect and respect from outsiders. It's a time to get serious. Time to get serious about God this year. Holiness and piety, godliness. You do it for your sake, you do it for your wife's sake, you're going to do it for your children's sake, you have gritted your teeth, you are resolved that now that age-old sin is no longer going to take take hold of you. 
So you've sworn off sugar, you've sworn off alcohol, no more television and no more social media. It's just you, your hot cup of water, your celery sticks, and your Bible. I'm doing it this year. I'm serious. This is what I'm going to do. I will kick my deficiencies to the curb, and I will feel so much better about myself once I do all these things. These things will help me. I will conquer my flesh. I'm not speaking of trivial matters here. I'm not. It may be that your waistband is binding into your flub, and you're saying, maybe I need to eat less chocolate cake. Maybe instead of one cake, maybe I should just eat half a cake. Maybe this is the thing to do. I'm not here to be contrary with doctors or doctor's orders. So I'm not speaking of trivial matters, which I consider that to be a fairly trivial matter. However, I am speaking of ultimate matters, as the Apostle Paul here is speaking of ultimate matters, matters of salvation and of holiness, of uh, sanctification, things into which we place our hope and our confidence. Again, remember this, that these believers in Colossae and the Lycus Valley are being troubled, troubled by false teachers. And it's not always so easy to recognize them as they present themselves so well. As we'll see, they present themselves as wise, they give forth persuasive arguments, they have traditional and worldly ways of thinking, their words feed a worldly mindset. These false teachers take people captive with their teachings, especially dangerous uh, these teachers are to the Lord's people because their teaching, if adhered to, leads the saint away from Jesus Christ. It's not a light matter. They are abusive, and I say that they're abusive because of what they teach and they do to the church emotionally and spiritually. They judge the church, the Christian, as being inferior, perhaps not even a Christian, because of what they eat or don't eat or what days they observe they couldn't possibly be saved and do the kinds of things that they're doing. And when I say that these things are difficult to, to discern, we look at the book of Colossians, you go, well, they're doing angel worship. What's not so hard to discern about that? What's, that's an easy thing to tell, right? And yet I have to believe, and it's a very interesting thing, and I, I really labor over these things to try to figure out exactly what kind of heresy was it that they were teaching in the Lycus Valley? What were these false teachers teaching? And what and how does this apply to us today? And the more I think about it, and I was confirmed by my sister Susan uh, earlier, that this is really the kinds of things, they're so subtle, these evils are so subtle, and they creep into the Christian world, they creep, creep into the Christian's life, and we are just as prone to fall to these same errors. And what's interesting to me is that the apostle doesn't come right out and spell out what this heresy is, but rather we see that there is a heresy because of, of, of what he says the net result of this is. These false teachers, these false teachers are high in themselves. They're proud of their humility. Again, they worship angels and they go on about their visions. They're full of conceit and they don't hold on to the Lord Jesus. As he said in verse 19, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. They've rejected Jesus Christ as the only way. 
They are terrible, though they don't look like it. And because of them, the church of Jesus Christ is hurt. Now, maybe you can think of some areas and some people who have hurt the church of the Lord Jesus. But you would have to say, and I hope it will become more clear, that they really are difficult to discern. And we are easily um, duped into buying into these things. And this is how Satan, right? Again, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. His servants, Satan's servants, the devil's servants, masqueraded as, as uh, ambassadors of light. Go figure. Satan himself is an angel of light. Heretics always come looking beautiful. We'll just say that. Heretics always present themselves as something beautiful, new, improved, um, enlightened, better than those old days where guys didn't know what they were talking about, those old dead theologians. We know the truth. Now we come to these final three verses in, this, in uh, chapter 2 in our Bibles. Here the apostle warns these saints not to submit to these men and women and their decrees as what they teach or what they promote over which people are guilted and shamed. These things are of no value to the Christian spiritually, either salvifically or in holiness or in sanctification. In other words, what they teach will never save anyone and what they teach will not lead to you growing in godliness and in likeness to Jesus Christ. And we will see why. And I have to believe that a warning of this magnitude that the apostle gives must be pertinent to the church throughout the ages because these are the very things we are always prone to do. Let me find a self-help book and just improve myself so that I can feel better about myself and so other people can feel better about me too. My friends, we must be very careful not to submit to the decrees of men in ultimate matters. Again, if your doctor says, maybe cut down on the chocolate cake, he's not telling you how to save your soul. He's just telling you, uh, warning you about having a heart attack too soon. Paul is addressing ultimate matters as are we looking at today. So verses 20 through 22, listen to what he says. He's, he tells them, don't submit yourselves to man-made decrees. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. He is addressing the church. Again, he is addressing Christians. Of them, he says that they had died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. What are these elementary principles? When speaking of these things, as, uh, as we noted some weeks ago, there is not agreement. This philosophy or theosophy, this false teaching to which the church was being exposed, is ambiguous to modern scholars. One commentator will say that these elementary principles or basic principles are referring to angelic beings. And I believe, without going into too much detail, I believe those who say this 
make a very strong case and there's something very strange that was going on in the Lycus Valley concerning Sibyl worship and how things came about and Montanus later in the in the early church and their experiential and all their flamboyant worship and all these sorts of things or something seriously weird <laughs> to use the Latin right something seriously weird that was going on they may be very well be right these commentators they say that this phrase, uh, elementary principles or basic principles, was used at this time to refer to gods of stars and planets and even to the physical elements, earth, wind, fire, and water, uh, that were thought to control the destiny of men and women. So we observe these things, these basic principles, in order to appease spiritual beings in order to make our lives go better. That's one view, one commentary. Another commentary or commentator rather, says that this is referring, basic principles is referring to that which a person in conjunction with faith in Christ needed, a secret knowledge and uh, an adherence to human regulations, physical and external practices like circumcision, eating and drinking, and observance of religious festivals. I have leaned towards that view more both present very sound arguments for this. What does it mean, these elementary principles? Again, no one is totally sure what exactly this false teaching was, but what is clear, it was something besides faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is what we should focus on. The Apostle Paul does not spell it out clearly. We're allowed to have differences. What we are not unclear about is that the Apostle Paul is warning them because they are placing their confidence in something other than Jesus Christ. There was a need for something, according to these heretics, that a person must do in order to be saved, then to look to faith in faith to Jesus Christ alone. So if you have Jesus and are circumcised, or eat or don't eat or observe this festival or day, you may be sure about your salvation. But as we noted some weeks back, the law of Moses, if indeed this is what was being foisted upon them, or the commandments and teachings of men, or a combination of the two, um, it serves no purpose, the law serves no purpose, other than to demonstrate your wretchedness. Again, the law serves no purpose other than to demonstrate your wretchedness. That's why the law was given. Galatians 3.19, the Apostle Paul says, and I'm, I'm, I've inserted here the footnote from the English translation in the NAS, says the law was added for the sake of defining transgressions. I wonder if I've sinned. I don't feel bad. I rather enjoyed that movie that, you know, abused the Lord's name and, and flashed some flesh up on the screen. I rather enjoyed it. I wonder if I sinned. How about you violated the seventh commandment? You shall not commit adultery. You look with lust at a woman on the on the television screen. That sounds like a clear violation of the law. I don't feel bad, right? But you should. <laughs> you violated the law of God. See how the law works? It defines what sin is, what transgressions are. Paul would say in Romans 7, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. 
And again, he says in Galatians 3, 21 and 22, If a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The elementary principles, however you want to understand them, are the ways in which we labor to make ourselves acceptable and pleasing in the eyes of the all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-powerful God in whom there is no darkness at all. That's the problem. This is not you, I hope. For you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. The Lord has brought you, Christian, away from these things. He's brought you away from these things. Remember what Paul says just a little bit earlier here in Colossians 2. He says, In him you have been made complete, and and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. By faith we have died with Christ. You, friend, have been, through faith, united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. How is it, then, that you have gone back to these elementary principles, to thinking that there is anything, something, that you could do to make yourselves more acceptable to God? This is Paul's point. Plainly speaking, before you came to Christ, how did you justify yourself? Do you remember this? Do you remember how you used to justify yourself? Tim Starks, who taught this morning in Sunday school, did, always does such a nice job. Thank you, Tim. Um, you mentioned this very thing. You, you touched upon this point. What did you do before you came to know the Lord? What did you do to justify yourself, to, to make yourself feel better, to, to outweigh the bad things with good things? What did you do? What did you focus on? What did you experience? What did you deny yourself? Was it willpower? Okay, this year, I'm going to set the record straight. Was it disciplines? Was it sacrifice? I remember slugging a little brother, my little brother, not somebody else's, slugging my little brother, and he'd say, I'm going to tell mom. I'd say, here, here, hit me, hit me. You know, get back at me. Do to me what I did to you, then we can call it a wash. Right? And we do this. We do this like adults. We do this as unregenerate people. We say, ooh, I shouldn't have been so mean to that person in the restaurant. I better go do something, bake some brownies and take something to somebody who's sick. So I can feel better. I can assuage myself. I can justify that I'm really a good person. It's what we do. We we do these things, these elementary principles, and we try to uh, balance our, 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 our bad deeds against good deeds or, or good deeds against bad deeds. We try to do these things and we play these silly games, these elementary principles. We, we bow to them. What a burden. Oh, I wonder if I did this. I wonder if I made up for this enough. And you're never quite sure if you were to die, what would you do? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? I don't know. I don't know if my good deeds are outweighing my bad deeds right now. And it's what we do. The elementary principles the way the world couches righteousness, the way the world defines goodness. And we buy into this mindset. But then one day, you heard the voice of Jesus saying, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't have to keep track anymore. That burden has come off my shoulders. And you heard the voice of Jesus calling you. The sheep hear his voice, right? And they come. And that was it. You needed nothing more or besides Jesus Christ. This was you, Christian. So how is it that, as if you were living in the world, you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. This living in the world, it's abiding by the world's standard and the system of beliefs. Why? It's as if Paul is asking, why would you go back to that old slave driver that never let up on you? And why would you turn your back on a gentle and kind master like Jesus Christ? And this is what is happening. This was the danger that these people were in. You're going back to do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. Don't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We want to make sure that we're actually good and right for God. Why did Jesus Christ come? Why did he come? These men, these false teachers, are attempting to enslave you all over again with their little rules and regulations about what you can and can't handle, what you can and can't taste, and what you can and can't touch, which are eliminated once you eat them. Probably referring to the Mosaic Law, probably referring to foods that are clean or unclean. No, you shouldn't do these things. These are not the commands or teachings of the Lord, whose commands are not burdensome, whose yoke is easy, But these are commands and regulations given by men. They are of the world and they are not found in the scripture. You hear me? These are not things found in the scripture, but are things invented by men. Really, they are doctrines of demons and they are packaged and promoted as helping you be a better Christian or a more Christian parent. These are the traps that we fall into. No, no, no. We're not going to be falling for anyone worshiping angels. We know better than that. We're enlightened. We know better than these things to fall prey to those things. Now, what I'm about to say, I want to say with all kindness and all caution, I became more convinced this week that the public schools are just flat out evil. But I'm not here to talk about the public school because you know that. I'm not here to address Christian schools, but I am going to address homeschooling. I want to address homeschooling. I want to address it because I think in the Protestant church, This is where we're giving Satan a foothold. Not with homeschooling in particular, but there's a culture among homeschoolers that I would caution you and I want to urge you to be very careful. Classical Conversations, I think it's a wonderful organization. Please don't stop. 
but please be aware there is a culture there is a leaven that that works there's a sort sort of culture of homeschooling piety um right there's the there's the woman you know who's a homeschooler and she's just the most spiritual woman she wears bobby socks you know she wears jean jumpers and she cuts her own hair and she doesn't pay someone else to cut her hair um they eat healthy snacks not ho-hos and not ding-dongs they eat celery with peanut butter and this is the mark now look i'm not i have to be careful and you may feel as though i've sharpened my teeth on this i've been exposed to it in indiana and i've been exposed to it in colorado and i've been exposed to it here in wyoming and i think it bears warning this very pious approach to life this homeschool culture which leads me to say that if you're really a good christian you do this with your children but parents who send their children to public school they don't really love their children i see a couple of people who i know send their kids to public school i happen to know that they love their children and they're very diligent in caring for them i know people who homeschool and they love their children and they're very diligent with them but this idea that jesus plus my homeschooling jesus plus my diet jesus plus my clothing jesus plus how i spend my money these are the marks of real christianity and i'm a pastor i don't know exactly what the heresy was that paul was dealing with but i happen to know that there are plenty of things that get our eyes off of jesus christ alone and we start banking on the fact that i'm a homeschool mom or i'm a homeschool dad and we live like the devil in our homes be careful that's all i'm saying I'm urging you to be very careful. There are church traditions and laws. There are disciplines and sacrifices. Nowhere in the Bible um, are we told of these things, yet they are sold to us and packaged to us to help you be more godly, to be more saintly, to help you to produce a better and more pious member of society that we can all feel better about ourselves as we go to bed at night knowing that now not only my neighbors but God himself smiles on me because of my sacrifice for my family. And family worship becomes not worship that is performed by the family but it becomes the idol upon which we bend the knee and find our justification. And I hope somebody over the radio is listening to this someday because I think it's a real problem and I'm not anti-homeschooling I think it's the best way to go just be careful when you start looking sideways at people who put their children in jeans or their little girls have fishnet stockings instead of the the rolled up white dirty need ones um, they're not more spiritual or you're not more spiritual than them we get into these crazy stupid things by which we would justify and see ourselves as being more saintly and more godly. 
and we should weep because we have moved away from Jesus Christ alone to these things. Why do you submit to these things, says Paul? Why do you tolerate these things to be placed upon you? People telling you that good Christians do this or that thing or avoid these certain places and observe certain days and have these experiences. My friends, you mustn't let people place unbiblical, sophistic demands upon you. Sophistic, wise-sounding, pretty good-sounding, seems pretty logical, seems pretty sound that they would go these ways. The problem is, it's not biblical. They sound wise, they're not biblical. Think of the Pharisees for a moment. What kinds of things were they encouraging? Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day. What is wrong with him? Let's figure out how we can kill him. Right? Well, you're, you're, you're carrying your sick one on a pallet. What's wrong with you? Don't you know you're not supposed to carry anything heavier than a half a fig? This was their law. They couldn't stand next to a building if it was raining out because their clothes might carry more weight than what they were allowed to carry. And we come up with all these little extra things like the layers on an onion because we want to safeguard that people are doing holy things. And then you do them and you think, I'm better than the average Joe. I didn't even carry any water on my clothes today. And again, our, our confidence is moved away from Christ and his righteousness to, well, yeah, Jesus is important, but, but look at me. Look at me. You see where this would be a real danger for the Lord's church today, especially in light of the lawlessness and the, and, and the, the licentiousness we see going on in the church, right? I'm not going to make those mistakes. So we're going to do these things to ensure that we're not like those heathens in the other church. Satan's wise. He's shrewd. He knows how to hook us. And he can drag us away very easily, friends. So I do these things, and yet I shouldn't. I shouldn't submit to these things. I mustn't go back to them as the cause or the source of my righteousness, which is found in Christ alone. Friends, when I start to feel better about myself or that I start thinking of myself in terms that I'm better than other people or that God will receive me more readily if I just had my quiet times every day, then God will truly listen to me. You're on thin ice. You are on thin ice. You're in danger of falling off that wagon and, and looking to something else to deliver you. And that's a bad place to be. Understand, it can be tricky. Why? Because their commands and teachings appear to be wise, and therefore this can make it difficult to discern and can open us up to being deceived. Listen to what he says in verse 23. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. The apostle admits that these, their commands and teachings appear or have an appearance of wisdom. These false teachers are impressive. The things they decree, their commands and teachings, have a reputation, an appearance of wisdom. 
They're deep. They are profound, spiritually profound. And people marvel at them for their self-made religion, says Paul. In verse 18, he had mentioned that they worship angels. They have created this religion. It is man-made. It's not biblical. It's not regulated by scripture. When somebody says to you, well, you shouldn't eat that, you should say, why not? Where does it say in scripture, I'm not supposed to eat a Twinkie? I'm serious. I'm serious. Well, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so you shouldn't be filling it with preservatives. Yeah. And you drink coffee? And you eat fat? You eat potato chips? You see, we come up with these rules of what it... And we can make it sound biblical. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I should limit myself to one Twinkie. The thing is, is that you eat them and they are eliminated and they're gone. They're gone. Is it any wonder that the Lord made you a kidney, two kidneys, and a liver? Might he have planned the fact that we would be eating things that probably needed to be strained and filtered? Now we can overdo it, and I'm not suggesting that you... You treat me as though I'm a doctor, because I'm not. I'm just saying these are not matters of ultimate importance. The fact that somebody eats a Twinkie or a Ho-Ho. These people came up with self-made religion. They were more spiritual than the Bible. Their worship is humanistic, in a sense, because they're celebrating man and his accomplishments and what we give to God. It is self-abasing. They look extraordinarily humble. It's all a show. See how lowly we are? Oh, I've been suffering while I fast. And you go, oh, they're so spiritual. They're so spiritual. Now look, some of you are giving me looks. <laughs> and I want you to understand, I want you to understand, the Lord wants us to be holy. He says, be holy for I'm holy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I think you ought to not care about what you eat or anything like that. I am saying you ought not to be promoting this as if somehow you're more godly than everyone else. They look extraordinarily humble. It is self-abasing. And he says... And they treat severely their bodies. And what exactly they did, we don't know. Did they beat themselves? Did they starve their bodies? Did they deprive themselves of sleep? Whatever it was that they did, man, they looked spiritual. And they had the saints in Colossae and the Lycus Valley snookered into thinking that somehow they're a cut of Christianity above everyone else. And she, I should do what they do. We have men and women like this in the region. They tell you about their visions. They let you know how spiritual they are about their prayer lives and how they wake up at two in the morning and pray for five hours. How they have this special relationship with God and that they are in the know about things that few others have. They fast, etc. And you, you're just this ordinary Christian trusting Jesus to save you. And in gratitude for your salvation, you're trying to live your life in grateful obedience. 
But they, <laughs> they're impressive. They're wise. They look good. And we become so impressed with these people flaunting their spirituality. That should always be a warning flag to us is when anyone flaunts their spirituality and tells you about how spiritual they are and how you should be like them. Paul says, follow me in my example as I follow Christ. Imitate what is good. Don't imitate what is evil. These people, they're the end all, be all, and we become so enamored with them that we begin to think that I should do it too. It would be, or I would be a better Christian too if I did what he or she does. And that's how we submit to them. That's how we come under their decrees. And those are the ways, that's the way in which we are led away from Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Don't submit to these things. Why not? He says at the end of verse 23, their commands and their teachings are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Once again, they say you must do these things if you want to be a Christian. You should be doing these particular things if you want to be holy. We do these things, so should you. That's what you should be looking out for, friends. Self-made religion, doing humility for a show, treating their body severely. It all looks very good, very spiritual, but, says Paul, they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. How do we handle the desires of the flesh? What do you do with those fleshly desires? How are we set free from them? Where does sanctification and holiness come from? How is it nurtured, my friends? Is it by getting up at 2 a.m. to pray for four hours? Is it by denying my, myself food? Is it by beating my body, wearing ugly clothes, by denying that I, what I prefer, what is pretty? Is that it? Does that make me more spiritual? Should I sit on a pole or live in a cave, be buried up to my neck in a swamp and let the mosquitoes eat me alive? This is what people have done throughout history. See how holy I am. These things may look spiritual, they may look pious, they may look wise, but they are not biblical, and they are of no value against fleshly indulgence, says Paul. No value meaning they're worthy of no honor, they deserve no credit, they are useless against the control of those fleshly desires. You having problems with lust? And you decided on December 20th, no lust in 2023, I'm just not going to do it, and here's a book I bought that's going to help me do this. If I do these three steps, it'll help me curb my appetites for food, for all of my sensual desires. That's it? That's what you're going to do? That's what you're placing your confidence in? He says it's useless against the control of these fleshly desires. In fact, it would be akin to pouring gasoline on a fire. It does quite the opposite of what you think it's going to do. This harsh treatment of the body, ostentatious humility, self-made religion feeds the flesh, it feeds the pride and self-sufficiency, and it creates in a person a mindset that says, look at me and how spiritual I am mindset. That's what it does. That's what they do. And they make you then twice as much a son of hell. It's a 
very dangerous place to be. My friends, where does life begin? It begins with Jesus Christ. Where does holiness and sanctification come from? Where does growth come from? It comes from the same place where you find life. It comes from Jesus Christ. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. We'll get into this next week. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's not self-help books. It's not taking on the, the preferences and the commands and the teachings of those around us which are unbiblical. It is rather looking at Jesus Christ. I want you to notice what is in front of us this morning. Under this cloth right here is a napkin, or under this cloth, rather, is bread. And what does it represent? It represents the body of Jesus Christ. On the center of the table and in this tray, what do we have? We have the fruit of the vine. Ours is grape juice. Many churches use wine. Um, This grape juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ shed for many for the remission of sins. I want you to notice that there is nothing else on that table. There is no picture of you on that table. There is not a picture of me, of course. There's no checklist of our disciplines on this table, of what books or websites that you're allowed to visit or not visit. There's no harsh treatments. There's, there's no, nothing representing here harsh treatment of our bodies. There's no whip on the table. The plates themselves are full. They're not empty, so it's not a, a table uh, picturing fasting and, and starvation. There are no pledge cards on the table to fulfill agreements that you won't drink, that you'll stay away from movies, television, dancing, or tobacco on the table. I want you to notice that. I want you to notice what's on the table and what's not on the table. And why do we come to this table and why do we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Because it is the body and blood of Jesus Christ which came into this world to die and to deliver his people. Not you, not your checklists, not your harsh treatments, not your self-sacrificing deeds in which we are tempted to take um, pride in. We come to this table and we are the ones who benefit. And we benefit from Jesus Christ alone. It is just Jesus. And it is just Jesus alone. That's the gospel. That's what he's come to do for us. And the apostle cautions, cautions the church, don't let anyone shackle you with things that are ungodly, unbiblical. Jesus Christ is enough for us. Let's pray. We thank you again, O Lord, for your kindness to us and pray that you would cause these words to be heard in a right way and that your people will not hear me say things I don't say and don't believe and that they would hear 
what your word does have to say, that we might all together take heed and caution. We do pray for wisdom in applying this word to our individual lives and pray, Lord, that we would take this caution to heart lest we be led away from Jesus Christ and his sufficiency. We pray that you will bless this meal that is in front of us and that you will bless your people that we would rejoice in what he has accomplished for us. I do ask this now, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.